And once you get those Bibles, open them up first to the book of Exodus chapter 6 for context. Chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, that's right after Exodus 5. Just trying to help out, Gina. (laughs) Sorry. But again, don't be embarrassed. I got these really cool reading glasses. They're here to make me look smart. Let's see if they work. Okay. Oh, I can't see a thing through them, though. I'll see. I want you to look. Now, by way of reminder... Actually, I do it so I could just pull them off. Yeah, I get that kind of... By way of reminder, God has systematically taken down anything that is worshipped in Egypt, the king of their bondage for four centuries, has been eliminated, <clears throat> and now they're put in a place where Israel has stepped out of their land of bondage, out of the hand of slavery, but they have not gone into the place that God has called them to. God has removed them, but not completely delivered them yet. It will take the death of the old generation for the new to go in. And like every one of us, If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, welcome to the beginning of your journey. It is the beginning of the most amazing adventure that will take place for the rest of your life. It never ends on this side. As long as you breathe in, school's in session. What? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Don't worry. No one. No, no one's noticing. It's our secret. All right. Um, just trying to recover. Okay. So, in that time, the person you used to be will die off, and in its place will be something so much better. The person, to be honest, to some degree, will actually appreciate the place that God's sending you. But like anything, that's a rough road. I've learned that love can make you silly, but loss makes you stupid. Even when you lose things you're okay with losing, you'll still be in that place where you all of a sudden find worth in something You would have gladly destroyed just moments before. And we can look back romantically at situations we prayed God to deliver us from. It's a rough road. God promises his clear guidance and he provides it. A pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. There is no question where God is at any moment. All you need to do is look up. No doubt. However... The problem ensues that you're in the wilderness. Now, it didn't really matter where you went, because to be honest, it's all new territory. It's all been a place you've never been to before. You've been a slave for 400 years, so I'd like you to consider what that means. What that means is for 400 years, you have found yourself in bondage, not being able to say, yes, you were held captive. And so any place is new. And to be honest, any place is better. God doesn't bring you in right away, and one of the reasons is he's got a lot of work to do with you. But be confident in this, that he who began a a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. God is no quitter. He already surmised the cost before he began your project. And it was his son, and he paid it in full. In the midst of all of this, when God is in the process of delivering the people out of the land of bondage, God gives us chapter 6. We are in chapter 15 today, and I'm aware of that. But I wanted you to look at these first few verses because of how profound they are. That's going to be no help at all. When God speaks 
and we see this beautiful first worship song, praise song in all of Scripture by a guy who argued with God that he was no decent speaker whatsoever. In chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord says, the Lord said to Moses, right, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his hand, of this land. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, this is why I start with this. God had given Moses the commission to go and stand before the people first to rally up their support, which of course will be quite fickle, and then he will stand before Pharaoh, and there he will be before Yul Brenner, or whoever it will be, one of the Fiennes brothers, and, and, and say, let my people go, right? And again, there's the argument, your people, they're my people, in Pharaoh's eyes, they were his people. That's why I think it's a bit absurd when people talk about selling their soul to the devil. Because before you actually accept Christ, he already had it. So I don't know what he's going to get out of the deal. Anyways, with all of that said, uh, in it, he gets a little, you know, Pharaoh gets a little bent. Who, and he's, who is this Lord that I should obey him? Who is this God of yours? You realize the gods we have in Egypt. And, and with that, Pharaoh makes their life more difficult, which would appear to be a bit of a step back. A bit ironic when you know, Moses says, well, let's, let's get delivered out of here. And then their life becomes a little bit rougher first. And in, in all of that, that's all Pharaoh has to offer. Listen, 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 listen. That's as good as Pharaoh, as Pharaoh can offer you. The king of your bondage, that's what he can throw out at you at those moments. And that's enough to keep some of you from actually wanting to go beyond where you're at in your walk. Is that you know if I take another step in this, there's a battle to be fought. It might be a little bit rougher. And so what does he throw out? out harder work more futile it's just harder work you're getting less for it that's kind of the idea and pharaoh's like ha 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 let me show my power to you and god kind of takes a look at moses starts rolling up his sleeves and he goes now it's my turn and it's a big difference i mean what pharaoh did is he just kind of made your life a little rough and it's kind of funny because i think that people praise satan more than they do god and i think many christians do in the sense that they give him credit for everything you know one thing you're gutted and the second thing it's satan you know it's i just Satan made me miss my bus. And now I was standing in the cold for another five minutes so I had to wait for my bus. And Satan made my food cold. And Satan made, and it wasn't even salted. And it overcooked my steak. And Satan just, Satan, I'm like, my goodness, if you praise Jesus and you, I mean, do you, are, are you like me in this? When I hear the name Jesus in public, I always get a little concerned because it's more said by somebody who doesn't believe in him than someone who does. I mean, isn't that say something? But in all of that, imagine, that's, and God's like, let me start taking my turn. And now no, Satan's like, hey, here's your life's a little rougher, ha, ha, ha. And God goes, bam! And there's the difference. Welcome, welcome to church, everyone. And, and the idea is that God's like, okay, let's just line up your gods. This Pharaoh's going, you know, Yo, who are you? you know, who's this God that I have to listen to him, huh? And God's like, line up your gods. They go, bam, bam, bam. And they just one by one go down. It's like God kind of pulls up his sort of just, next one, all right, who's next? And then by the time you're done, even Pharaoh isn't standing. The guy who's supposed to be in charge of the Ka, the order of the universe. And with that, then, Pharaoh is left with nothing, including the death of his firstborn son. And in all of that, though, there's no praise. There's no one praising God yet. Strange as that is. We don't read at that point that people are going, oh, and God records this beautiful song, says, ha, 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 we're out of Pharaoh, see you later, not coming back. Because inside their hearts is still the part of them that wants to go back. In the heart of every one of those individuals is this desire to get out and go at the same time and stay. Somehow it's like, can I get, and let's be honest, can I get the best of the world and the best of God and make it a little stew that I really like? And what we preach to the rest of the world is that God's for saving, he's for the eternal stuff, but since that's not now, let's just party it up and have fun now in the world. So, and then the world looks and goes, well, what does your God have that anyone else, when they live in this world, they don't have an eternal perspective. All they see is what you're living now, and they look and go, well, you look like the rest of us. So you're chasing after the same things, your values are the same, the whole bit. And in all of that, no praise songs are written. And then God says, well, we're not done yet. 
See, in order for this to bust loose into some from real salvation, which is the word he's going to use here, he goes, we need to take the enemy down. You see, we took down all of his tools, we took down all of his elements, we took down all of his artillery, we took down all of those, his armory, everything's been shut down, but the one thing that hasn't been shut down is the enemy himself. And that's where we're going to go with this. But in order for that to happen, well, he needs to chase you a little bit. He's going to need to go after you. And so, by the way, God systematically tells the people to go to a place where they're stuck in a corner, where there's no way out. And there they are, no way to the left, no way to the right. The, you know, we've got this... This, this uh, water, this, this Gotha Chaba, which, by the way, is ten times deeper than the BT Tower, to give you an idea, five times deeper than the Shard, and with that then, far enough to walk from here to Greenwich. And we have to cross that. And God goes, I have exactly where I want you. Now, you ever think, now, because this is one of those moments where you want to give Satan all the credit. It's got me back in the corner. Look what happens. I'm just, mm, 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 mm. And it's like, on the other side of it, God's like, no, no, I have you here. Well, you can't go to the left, to the right. Well, you can't move forward. You can't go anywhere at this moment. And then God says, now, sit down and be quiet. Or, as he says here, stand still and see the salvation. And God's like, no, stop it. Stop. Will you just sit down for a minute? Will you just be still? Because I need to put you in a place where you can't do anything else so I can do what I'm going to do without you trying to help me. You ever wonder why it is that Jesus takes his boys across the sea to a man possessed by a legion of demons, and in between that there is this seemingly inconquerable storm where every one of those guys became so emotionally drained they despaired of life, and then they get to the other side? I think one of the purposes God did was because he wanted to exhaust them so they wouldn't try to help him when he had to deal with the demoniac. And sometimes God will do that. He will exhaust you so that he can do the work and you can sit still. Now, how hard is it for you to stay still? God says, all right, now stay still. You have nowhere else to go. And then with that, God parts the Red Sea. They walk through the Red Sea. And then he waits And it isn't enough for you to walk through to the other side because Pharaoh is still alive. His army is still alive. And you can look at this really big chasm of water, but even in the big chasm of water, there's still the problem that they're still alive on the other side. If any of you have ever actually had the horrible torture of having a horrible experience or a series of horrible experiences with an adult when you were younger... Some of you may know the freedom that comes often with seeing to being at that person's funeral. I had a situation like that when I was younger. There was a young lady that had been really, really misused by uh, an adult and someone who was a relative. And when that funeral came, of course, the last thing in the world she wanted to do was to go to the funeral. And, and, and just in prayer, I'm like, well, I think you should pray about it just so that you hear the Lord on this. And it became really clear she was to go. And there's something about that fear and that trepidation. She's sweating. She's nauseous. I mean, all of those things that would happen in a moment like that. Horrible things. But it got that point where she had to go up and she was going to look in the coffin. And the moment she stood up, and there I was holding her hand, helping her. This was many, many years ago. And there she was, and she looked in the coffin. Everything changed. Because at that moment, the reality sunk in. This person will never be a threat to me again. Unless I move them into my house and my choice and let them rot in my front lawn, the bottom line is this person is going to be no threat. This is over. It's over. And God has this way of showing you who you were and reminding you, I killed that person for a reason. And then showing you the enemy. And it tells us that the Son of Man was manifest that he might destroy the word destroy the works of the enemy. This thing's over. Interesting in this text then, now the song happens. Not just getting out of Egypt, not just getting through the Red Sea, but watching, listen, 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 watching the enemy taken down, that's what changed everything. And let's be honest, what if that was your walk today? You walked out of here saying, and I'm not talking about, look at, you know, I got a cold and I'm just going to clean it and I'm going to walk out of here healthy. I'm talking about, look at, what if the Lord wanted you to be sick so that he could get your attention? What if he wanted to allow that trouble? The bottom line is nothing, please hear me, nothing is more important to God than your relationship with him. Nothing. 
And if the only time you cry out to him is in a trial, it's amazing you don't have one right now. If the only time you cry out to him is in poverty, don't expect him to bless you with money. Because why would he want to give you something that leads you away from him? That's the point of it. And he's a jealous lover, and he's only jealous of what he wants, and the only thing he wants is you. Now that the enemy has been taken down, and if we could really see that the enemy is no threat to us anymore, I'm not going to grab him and move him into my house. The bottom line is, the enemy has been taken down in my life, and that bondage, I am free from the land of that slavery. I am free from the hand of that bondage. And now all of a sudden I realize a song comes from that. And here it is. And with that very lengthy introduction, chapter 15, verse 1. Then, and all of that leads up to that first word, then. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song. By the way, it's the first time in Scripture we see the word song. To the Lord and spoke and said, I will sing. First time the word sing is used to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. And the word gloriously, first time. I'll stop with that, but you get the idea. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army were cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath and consumed them like stubble. And in the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue. I will overtake. I will divide my spoil. My desire will be satisfied on him. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. That's our first ten verses. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, I guarantee you, in one manner or another, this could be your song. This is what it starts with. Notice, the Lord is. That's where it starts. I will sing to the Lord. Why will I sing to the Lord? Let me tell you why. Because everything that sought to destroy me is done. Now, I'm not talking about you got a a paper cut, you were gardening and you got a thorn. I'm talking about really destroy, eternally destroy, to take you down. The horse and the rider he has cast into the sea. And as I look at this salvation, as he's going to say here in verse 2, It starts by reminding me that the king of my bondage and all of his army that once held me and stood against me is done. It's over. God is not taking a vote and saying, you know what, Mary, maybe next week I'm going to send him back in. The bottom line is the enemy's been destroyed. He's not looking and going, well, Lorraine and Daniel, let's do this. The bottom line is, I want to remind you, my God is in control. And because my God is in control, his route may not be the one you choose, but his end is the one you would desire. Now let me ask you something. Look at verse 2. He is, he is, and he's become. My question is, can you say these three things today? The first is, the Lord's my strength. The second is, the Lord is my song. And the third is, he's become my salvation. What if this was the song of my life? Remember how the whole idea is that God had promised that he would take from us the song that once was and give us a new song. The old song was a song of bondage, of hopelessness, of desperation. And let's be honest. Before we knew the Lord, what did we have? A couple drinks to forget about the problems we had? A relationship to distract us? You know, 16 hours of Nintendo? And that was it? And you woke up after that, your eyes felt like they were bleeding, and what did you get out of it all? The same problems, they didn't go away. But the new song is a song of salvation, and this is it. First of all, he's my strength. If he's my strength, then I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to fight to win his love. I don't have to achieve and earn things. The bottom line is somehow in all of this, if he's my strength, it's his job to do it. I'm just a tool in his belt. Which means, to be honest... Please hear me on this. God never intended for your walk to him to be one full of strife. 
And that becomes real troubling for some of us. Some of us because we're control freaks. Just be honest. And being a control freak is a very difficult thing when God wants control. He will show you how little control you have. No matter how hard you hold onto the handlebars, he'll just pull off your front tire. You can still be holding onto those handlebars as tight as you want, but you're going to fly over the top. Beloved, please hear me. Jesus says, and you know the verse, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus did not say, I would really love to be one of your burdens. He said, take my yoke upon upon you, my burden. If Marcy had just decided 2,000 years ago she wanted to become Jewish, she actually could shop for disciplers. That's the idea. She could shop for the person to which she would sit under. And there were different people that were from under different schools. Some that were a little bit more lenient, like Hillel. Some that were a little bit more disciplined, like Shemai. And in all of that, she might. But in that, to take that, to enlist in that school was to take their burden. That wasn't the idea. It was to take their yoke. They were yoking her. So, you're 17 and you're shopping unis. You're deciding... Whose yoke are you going to put on you? That's the idea. Whose thing you're going to strap yourself into that's going to be leading you from that point on to a new career, to a new destination, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus, if you will, puts in his card. He sends his flyer, puts out his pamphlet. And he says, I'd like you to consider me. I mean, on one side of it, there's, you know, the school of me. Let's get more me in this. The school of gatherings. Let's get more stuff. The school of brilliance. You're stupid. I'm smart because I went to the school. You didn't make it. There's the school of a lot of things. Jesus is like, I'd really like to offer you that. Now, let's be honest. If you remember back in those days when you shopped unis, there were certain ones. Some of you maybe expected them to send you. There were other ones. Man, you would love. Man, it would have, it would have knocked you over to get that in the mail. But what with this? Really? They want me? This is crazy. I'd like, you to remi- I'd like to remind you, who is offering you that? The master of the universe. And imagine Jesus saying, look, it, I would really, there's room in my uni for you. Well, what's it, what's it going to cost me? Oh, I paid the cost. Obedience, that's what it's going to cost you. Obedience. And if the Lord is going to be my strength, then I really need to be in the place where I have to really allow him to do the work. And if that is the case, where if I were to take his yoke upon me, it's supposed to be one that isn't going to cause a lot of strife. Now listen, there's a big difference between strife and trouble. Strife means you are exhausted from trying to make it happen. That's what striving is. Striving is you spend all your time and all of your effort thinking, if I don't do this, this whole thing's going to fall apart on me. That's what striving is. Hey, trials can come without you striving. As a matter of fact, what the Lord has ordained, to be honest, are specific trials in, in, in our lives so the rest of the world can see us not strive in them. And you know what we'll do? He's the devil. He gave me a flat tire. Mm. And you're back to striving. The second on these is, he's my song. Now, some of you are musical in here, so it doesn't take anything. Cars drive by, you hear the, the rhythm, and you start singing to it. And some people, they're just naturally that way. I think Landon gave his life to Jesus singing when he was a little boy. He sang his sinner's prayer. True story. Some of you, on the other hand, you're afraid to open your mouth because you're afraid it sounds like someone's strangling a goose. You're afraid if someone's like that, they're going to call 999 and not even know. But truth be told, when you fall in love, it just doesn't matter anymore. Everything's a song. Or you're Italian and everything's a song anyways. But, the, but you know, like, oh, it's a great day, yeah. I lost my wallet, yeah. Oyster card, I think I had one, yeah, mm, yeah. And people are kind of looking at you like, what kind of, how'd you get so dopey? And you're like, hmm, it doesn't matter. And you can walk up to him and go, hey, you know, I've got horrible things to tell. And you're like, yeah, cool. Man, bummer. And, and you're not intoxicated. You're actually filtering the information. But because you have something at the very core of who you are that changes everything, you can look at it differently. See, for the Lord to become your song is so much more 
Beloved, hear me. For the Lord to become your song is so much more than we put a number out and you have to sing that. It's so much more than, oh, it's 12.30, it's time to, or in our case, it's supposed to, but it's 12.45, and we're, okay, let's, it's time to look at some words on a screen and try to sing them. It's a song that comes from here, not just from your mouth. Jesus would say in Matthew 12, 30, 12, 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth would speak. And that your mouth is the overflow valve for your heart. And in Ephesians, it says that if we would be filled with his Holy Spirit, that we'd speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to God. And God did not say, those of you who are musical, some of you will bust forth in the dance, some of you will draw something, some of you will do some pottery, and some of you will make a nice pasta. What God says is that I'll put a, I'll put a song in every one of your hearts. And it doesn't matter. And I remind you, God, I think, sp- choose to spotlight in all of this. He took his camera and he says, let's get it on this guy because this guy already told us he doesn't talk well. So who better to be able to say, well, I don't really have a good voice. This guy doesn't even speak well. And yet in that, he's busting forth into this song. Let me ask you, is the Lord your song? Now, now please hear me on this. The Lord couldn't say to us, you're my strength. Wouldn't that be really scary? But sometimes we think that way, don't we? Like the Lord's like, I'm counting on you, man. Look at, can I just say something? And it's going to sound rude, but follow me on this and deal with it. God doesn't believe in you. And what I mean by that is God doesn't look at you and have absolute trust in you. You know why? Because he's too smart. It isn't like, look at, I believe in you. The, the one part that's good in you, the one part that things get done is God in you. Paul would say, I know that in me nothing good dwells. So when you go, I just want to hear that you believe in me, God's like, no, I don't. I believe in me. God's smart enough for that. God's speaking of himself. I want your surrender. I know better. You know, the good news in that is, is that because God knows you honestly, you don't have to lie to him or pretend He knows your weaknesses from the beginning of this. And that's great news. But let me ask you, is the Lord your strength? And let me ask you, is the Lord your song? Well, wait a minute. Well, that one's more about being in love. What about the Lord? Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. Listen, listen, listen. Mighty to save. It says, He will delight over you will rejoice over you with singing. Quiet you with his love in between. Now listen to that. If you were to ask the Lord, well, who's your song? What's your song? I'm sure he'd look you straight in the face and say, it's, it's you. That's who it is. You're my song. When God thinks of you, he starts to sing. And I wonder what that would sound like. I have a feeling we're going to hear it one day. If it isn't the birds that are singing outside your window when you wake up, the wind that blows through the wind chimes, I think that God's writing that song all over you. I think there's a symphony constantly happening. When you walk out this door, you'll hear it. And it's God, in a simple sense, giving you a little bit of the background track before God clears his throat and starts to croon. You're his song. He's become my salvation. That's the third of them. And I'll try to, I can't, don't have time to develop all of it, but let me just say this. Listen, three times now, this is the third time we've seen the word salvation, and you're probably familiar with the fact the term salvation in the Greek, or Greek, in the Hebrew is the term Yeshua. In this, by the way, the first of them, by the way, was in Genesis 49 when the prophecy was given to Daniel where it talks about him being a serpent that bites the horse's, the horse's heel and from which the horse falls backwards. And then he says, I have waited for your salvation. So the first one is, I've waited for your salvation. The second one then is in Exodus 14:13, where God says, stand still now and see the salvation of the Lord. And now he says, he's become it. Listen, someone looked and says, I've waited for it. I'm waiting for it. Man, I'm waiting for it. That's where it starts. Interesting. Because he says, I waited for your salvation. And then from that, God says, stand still and see the specific salvation, my specific salvation. And then from that, now Moses says, he's become my salvation. And I can't help but think, boy, when they took with the lamb, they started with a lamb, but that lamb had to be a specific lamb, now the lamb, and that, that, that lamb had to be your lamb. And I just want to say that the, if God isn't your song, Maybe he isn't your salvation. Now, I'm not here to talk doctrine on this point. What I'm saying at this point is just, let me ask you, are you infected enough that you're starting to show? 
when we talk about wanting to be contagious as Christians. But I'm going to say, look, if you're not contagious, you might not be infected enough. And I just want to encourage you, man. I mean, imagine if, if I mean, when we think of those, they're all negative terms, right? You're in the underground, and some guy goes, <coughs> and you're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get that now. And he could be on the other side, but somehow you're just convinced the whole thing's going to spread nefariously, right? Bounce off of people's heads, off of the evening standard, right into your gut. What if, in eternal perspective, God did it the opposite, which is that bad things weren't contagious, good things were? Do you realize that's what's supposed to happen? We're supposed to be contagious. Our joy is supposed to be contagious as Christians among each other. It's one of the reasons why the enemy wants to isolate and why God wants to unify. And in all that, beloved, please hear me. Please hear me. This song starts, and we haven't gotten but to verse 2. And in that, this guy is like, look at one of, the fring, one of the first things I've come to realize is you're mine. You're my God. You're my salvation. You're my song. You're my strength. You're not just theologically strength, theologically song, theologically salvation. You are my salvation. And until you can personally partake of it, and maybe for some of you, you remember what it was like to really partake of it. But lately, it's been a little bit more of you are it and not my. I can tell you, the moment that starts to happen, the joy leaves. The moment that starts to happen, it seems like it's more striving. And God allows that strife in your life so that you can kind of look and go, wow, what am I missing? Why is this ill-fitting now? Why is this heavy? And God says, because it's not mine anymore. It's yours now. God has never intended ministry to be draining. Now, physically, yeah, you could be tired in the work, just not of it. And for the over 20 years that I've had the privilege of doing this, I can tell you I've never for a second not loved the privilege of what I get to do. That doesn't mean things aren't weird. doesn't mean people don't get crazy. But if they weren't sick, then why would it be a doctor at all? He's my God, my Father's God. That's the next part, verse 2, right? He's my God and I'll praise him. My Father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a man of war. Oh boy, that is so culturally insensitive, isn't it? I remember once we had this um, children's camp back in the States and it was called Commandos for Christ and some people went potty all over it. Commandos, what are you raising up? Gorillas to blow themselves up and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, I had considered it. Kids were walking around in camos and people were just convinced we were going to hand them rifles. But listen, our God is a man of war. And you know why? Because we need one. Because there's a battle to be fought. Can I just say it this way? First of all, he's my strength, my song, and my salvation. And now he's my love, my legacy, and my lieutenant. That's what he is. He's my God, my Father's God. In other words, he's the God of the Bible. That's who he is. And by the way, he doesn't change. So the same guy that held the sun in the Valley of Ajalon, the same God who parted the Red Seas, the same God who took an entire army down, and the same God who had an angel that doesn't even seem to have a name in Scripture grab the back of Satan's neck, so to speak, and throw him into the pit, is the same God who is today. Never forget that. Because at this particular moment, Moses is very aware. And the Lord is his name. Can I remind you back in Exodus 6 where God says, you know, up to this point you've heard me called Almighty, you've heard me called a few things, but you need to know me as the Lord now. You need to know that. Now please hear me on this. I mean, we can get into sort of some of the beautiful uh, semantics about, uh, you know, about regards to the, you know, that beautiful tetragram, the, you know, Yat Hei Vav Hei that it is. But can I just see in its most basic sense, listen, there comes a point where you realize that God wants to be more to you than your Savior. If I can say in the simplest, most practical, we're laying foundation for every one of us. It never says in Scripture, and please hear me, it never says in Scripture, whoever confesses that Jesus is Savior will be saved. By the way, note that. Whoever calls in the name of the Savior will be saved. Because he demands to be more than just the nice guy who bailed you out of the trouble. He demands to be your Lord, and he demands to be Lord of all. And if he's just not Lord of all, he's... Not Lord at all in your life, to be honest. And please, please hear me. For some of us, we are really happy with the kind of sheep cuddling, you know, kind of warm, fuzzy Jesus that doesn't seem to be a real, doesn't seem to have a problem with our mess. And we can just kind of 
bank on cheap grace and like just do whatever we want and just think God's going to applaud it. That's really nice. But when one of your children slaps another one of your children or does something that's sort of like that, you don't applaud them for their creativity. Somewhere down the line, if you want order in your house, punishment is a part of it. And by the way, God says he chastises those he loves. Man, if you ain't got spanked before, you want to check your daddy. Beloved, hear me on this. God's a God of war. He's a man of war for a reason, but he demands to be your Lord. Because if he isn't, you'll step in the front line instead of letting him be the lieutenant he's supposed to be. And the last thing you want in an army is a bunch of guys with guns that have no one to follow to tell them where they're supposed to point those things. Because you know what happens when that happens? You guessed it, they shoot each other. So now we review the situation. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army is cast into the sea. His chosen chariots, his captains are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sink to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand. Remember how God says, look at Pharaoh's flexed his arm. That was the whole thing in Exodus 6. Pharaoh's flexed his arm. What did he do? He made your life a little rougher. He goes, now it's my turn to flex and let's see what happens. For those of you who really are interested in how where God really flexed the biggest I'd simply say in your own time, study Isaiah 53, because that's how it begins. Where has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And you know where it is? At the cross. No place has the strength of God been demonstrated better. Now listen, your right hand has become glorious in power. Now he's like, okay, I saw a Pharaoh's hand. Your right hand made my life a little rougher. God, your right hand, on the other hand, glorious in power. Your right hand dashed the enemy in pieces. And when the enemy's dashed in pieces, he's kind of like Humpty Dumpty. He isn't good at reassembling. And the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You set forth your wrath and consumed them like stubble. Now, anytime you ever watch stubble, when stubble burns, by the way, it doesn't take a long time. Stubble goes up like this, and that's the whole point of it. And understand, when you read about challenges in Scripture... Between the enemy and Jesus, the Antichrist sets up and they said, who could stand against him? We read that he knocks him down with the breath and destroys him with the splendor of his coming. We tend to think of Jesus like we look at pro wrestling, right? Like, although we are, you're aware it's staged, right? But, you know, it's like, oh, Jesus is on the ropes. Wait a minute, he's down. He's looking to tag Michael the Archangel. Wait a minute, oh, it's a one, two. Oh, he's up, he's up. Oh, my goodness. Ah! Let me tell you what it looks like. Satan can go and have his moment and he parades and throws off his cape and does his luchador thing and his yell or whatever and Jesus goes, hi, boom, and the whole thing's over and that's the whole match. People are wanting to get their money back. And please understand, that's the way it works. Jesus and Satan aren't like somehow like seems just a little less than him. Jesus made him. He can unmake him anytime he wants. Understand there's no battle there. This is the enemy. He was consumed like stubble. It wasn't like, you know what? He was consumed like really hard to light, wet, thick logs. But that's how we kind of sing the song if we do it honestly in our hearts. It's like the enemy, well, he's still holding on. Not all of him's really consumed yet. When you consume something with stubble, all that's left is ashes and they blow away quite easily. And the blast of your nostrils, which you kind of get the idea. I, t- I tend to image, the image I get in my head is a, is a bull. But the idea when you sort of Focus on nostrils, you get anger. That's the idea. Listen, like God blew his nose and waters were gathered together, which is the rest of the verse. It says that your nostrils, when you, when you want to be a little angry, waters were gathered together, the flood stood upright like a heap, the depths, don't miss the word depths, congealed at the heart of the sea. This was not some little dinky sort of thing that we kind of waddled through and then God parted it because it was a little bit of a windstorm. It's the depths of the sea that he made a road, according to Isaiah 51.10. He says, let me tell you what I know about the enemy. He said he would destroy me. That's verse 9. And you're aware of the fact that John 10.10, Jesus tells us the enemy's come to destroy. And of course, that part actually gets a lot of press. It's the fact that he lost that we lose. In verse 10, it says, you blew forth your wind. And some of you are familiar, if you read the language, it's ruach. It's the same word that's used for spirit. You want to see God destroy the work in the enemy that he's planted, that you've even helped with, and even been part of the building project? Watch what happens when a spirit takes control of you. So who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your mercy you led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength and your holy habitation. And this is what I expect as a result of that. 
the people will hear and be afraid. The other things that are going to stand against me now that are part of the, still considered part of the enemy, I can tell you right now, sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. And notice again, they will be as still as a stone until your people, and notice the term that Moses uses, till your people pass over. Remember that's how this started, was pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them into the mountain of your inheritance, into the place, O Lord, which you've made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And I think, well, wait a minute, what's, what mountain is he talking about? Well, there's two places to consider. One of them is back in, in uh, Exodus chapter 3. And you can flip there for a moment. Go ahead, just so you can check me. Remember, don't just believe what I say. Search the scripture. We're rounding the corner on this. 3.12. When God is recruiting Moses in the first place, in chapter 3, verse 1, we read that the mountain he's at is called Mount Horeb, which means desolate. In chapter 3, verse 12, God says to him, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign that you, to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So there's that particular concept. Now, what is Mount Horeb? Well, that's quite easy, to be honest. Mount Horeb is the place, according to Malachi 4.4, Psalm 106.19, Deuteronomy 5.2. Well, that's Mount Sinai. Did you realize that Moses was getting his command to go and deliver the people at the place where he would get the law? Not an interesting thought. I mean, cause you, could possibly, you couldn't possibly foresee that. There he is meeting with God. God says, take off your sandals and that nice hot sand because I've got a little talking to do with you and this is holy ground. For which he does. And God says, now look at, I've heard their cries. I've seen their torment. I know their sorrows. So I'm going to come down and deliver them. And Moses is like, yes. And God says, I'm going to use you. And he's like, no. (laughs) Sound familiar? Isn't it easy to believe that God could deliver until you're part of the equation? Is it easy to believe that God could change the world? I mean, don't you believe that God has world changers out there right now? People that are going to transform this world God's going to use? It's just weird when God shows you you and says, how about you? And you're like, I'm just me. And God's like, do you think they're not just them? All they are is people that are actually said yes when God said go. That's the only difference. Do I believe that God's going to do an amazing thing in Brooklyn? I absolutely do. Because I believe in Brian and Liz. With all due respect to Brian and Liz, because I believe in the God they serve. That's the beauty in it. We just get the joy of cashing in. How crazy is that? God's like, follow me here. Well, what are you going to do? You think God's like, well, probably something rotten. I'm going to do something miserable. I just wanted you to be around, to be miserable with me. No, if God's going to do something, don't you kind of get excited? God's going to do something really great. God's like, I mean, if God's like, Mary, this is what I have for you. This would be Penny, this is what I'm going to do. And, and I don't want you, and you'd be like, yeah, I can't wait to watch that. And God's like, watch. Christianity's not a spectator sport. I'm recruiting, and I'm looking for a yes. And you're like, well, yes. And God says, well, you've been yes for you. And you're like, no, no. And Penny says, I mean, yes for Mary. Right? I mean, right? Mary, I mean, she's like my Aaron, right? And God's like, no, no, no. I'm talking to you for a reason. It's weird when that happens, but it's true. And at that point, dare I say it, and I don't mean to be crude, you want to throw your big butt in it. Because you say, but, but God, my past, but God, I'm young, but God, I've had this, but God, I failed, but God, I, and God's like, can you see just God, you're telling God that, and God's like looking, and he's like, oh, oh, wait a minute, I missed, how did I miss that? Oh, you're right. Yeah, okay, hold on, just wait there, Penny, I will talk to Mary. I mean, really? I mean, if God really were there, could you imagine how sad it would be that he would be recruiting anyone? Praise God he doesn't miss details. You you know, the best thing to do when the Lord calls you, and if you really want to be honest with you, and he says, I have something amazing to do, and I'd like to pull you in it, you could say, this doesn't make sense. And God will say, lean not upon your understanding. And you're like, oh, I know that verse. Dang it. I've quoted it to other people in council. And God goes, I know. And you're like, God, I've given you options A, B, and C. And God says, I choose D. And you're like, I didn't give you that. And God says, I know. (laughs) Oh, beloved, please hear me. 
Philistia, Genesis 10.14, Edom, Genesis 25.30, Moab, Genesis 19.37, Canaan, Genesis 9.18. In all of these places, you see these people that have raised up by the way that in one way or another, all came from Noah, of course. In all of that, you kind of get the idea here that God's like, look, at they've been on my radar always. They've never not been on my radar. But let me just say this, that though they're in front of me still and they're not behind me, God, if you did that with Egypt and that was the big boy and the big boy went down, I'm really not concerned with the other kids on the playground all of a sudden. Which will be interesting because they'll be a little bit more concerned when they see them. But at this particular moment, they're pretty convinced that everything's going to be good. But when he says, you bring them and plant them, well, that's one mountain. But God's got a different mountain altogether. A mountain, by the way, where we go back farther than Exodus 3 to Genesis 22, where when God chooses to introduce love, he shows us a father who offers his only son, his only fully begotten son, if you will pardon me for saying this way. And in that, God saves that son, brings him back after three days, and on that same mountain will be another son, God's only begotten son, who will die for three days and raise from the dead. And in that, between those two statements, will be three, will be two temples. Those people, he's made sure that they are not going to leave that spot until the most event, important event in history takes place, and they haven't left it still because there's more to do. Now let's look to the future. Oh, the enemies are going to have issues. Verse 18 and 19, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Don't miss that. The horses and Pharaoh went into the, and, and with his chariots and horsemen into the sea, waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Man, never forget the fact that God has already taken you out of where he's taken you out of. Interesting. Then we have these last two verses for the day. Now we find out that it's become a duet. Well, there's Moses and all the people, but now it's the ladies' turn. And we read this, Miriam the prophetess. I don't know if you know this, but God isn't, he's not like Dickens where he gets paid by the word. You know, it's like if God puts something in scripture, he's got a purpose in it. So it isn't just Miriam, Moses' older sister. Miriam, the gal that suggested that he actually get weaned by his mother. Miriam, the gal that's going to later on cause some trouble. What we read is that she's called a prophetess here. By the way, another thing that God wants to introduce to us. We've seen that Abraham was a prophet in Genesis 20 verse 7. God says about Moses that Aaron will be like your prophet in Exodus 7.1. And then we see here, there'll be other prophetesses, Deborah and Judah, Judges 4.4, 4, Huldah, and then the wife of Isaiah, and then Anna, of course, in Luke 2.36. Philip has four daughters that prophesy in Acts 21. But God says, let's introduce a prophetess here. So ladies, you get a moment to help me with this, okay? It says here, and you're going, already nervous, aren't you? Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand. How many of you have a timbrel? Do you know I spent almost as much time last night looking for my timbrel than I did preparing? I just want you to know that. Still never found it. Dang it. But I can tell you almost exactly what it sounds like. Are you ready for this? Ladies, do you have any keys? Take out your keys. Go ahead, take out your keys. Come on now. You didn't realize that there was some participation in these last couple of minutes, did you? Oh, that's what a timbrel sounds like. So let's just find out together. Everyone, ladies, got your keys? Marcy's got the mother load. She could probably loan you a few. Okay. Okay, so ready, ladies? You have a script. You can just say it. You don't have to sing it. You can sing it if you want to. But it says, listen, Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and listen, and all the women went out with her with timbrels. That means you're all recruited. There you go. With, with, and with dances. I won't let you dance at the moment. Well, you can later, but some of you are like, darn it, that's what I'd rather do. And listen, Miriam answered them and said, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown in the sea. Can you put that on? There we go. Notice verse 21. Sing to the Lord, he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, we don't read that Moses expected this, which I kind of think is kind of funny. We're all singing, the Lord is on, Pharaoh, and all, and all of a sudden, it's Miriam's time. She jumps in and she takes it. So, ladies, ready for your script? On the count of three, I want you to jump up, shake your keys, and give me verse 21. Ready? One, two, three. 
Okay, um, yeah, that was that was almost whelming. That was almost whelming. I want to give you one more try. You didn't realize you were coming to church this way? Okay, but look at Do you realize what's being said here? What you're saying is, look at sing to the Lord. Let me tell you why you should sing to the Lord. Because the enemy is done. The enemy's done. That's why. Now you realize that's what's being said here, right? Okay, ladies, you got one more chance. Ready? One, two, three. All right, that's better. Now, can you imagine, like, the reverend's wife coming in and seeing this from the other church? Anyways. Okay, listen. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Last point on all of this. God didn't just say that Miriam jumped up and did this. She jangled her keys and she sang this particular part. It said she was a prophetess. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That means that is she prophesying here? Is this more than just looking back at a really, really cool event? Well, what just took place? Let me remind you what just took place. What, she took, what just took place was that the king of your bondage was taken down. All of the army and that which stood against you, listen, listen, all of the army that stood against you was buried, buried, in, the, buried in the sea. Buried in the sea. Micah 7.19 you will again have compassion on us, subdue our iniquities. Listen, you will cast all of our sins in the depth of the sea. Now, remember when you read that the first time, you think, well, that doesn't sound far enough. I mean, then what happens if I go fishing? Right? But if the context is this, doesn't it make better sense? What that means is, I watched all my guilt, all of my shame, all of those horrible things walk, be brought into the middle, and then whoosh! I even spit when I did that. Look at that. Um, And all of a sudden, it was washed away. Did you get it? Beloved, please hear me. Because before they were called prophets, according to Scripture, in 1 Samuel 9, 9, it says, the one who was formerly called, or now is called a prophet, was formerly called a seer. Not like you just cook something a little bit on the top. A seer is someone who sees. And you wonder, what is it that she saw? I tend to get the idea what she saw was, in the future, all of the horse and the rider, all of the enemy, consumed completely. It's done. It's over. Because this is more than just a bunch of people leaving through the Red Sea, about to walk into the wilderness and have some pretty rough times. What we're going to see here is that she's looking and pointing us to something else. And what she's pointing us to is the one place where that all happened. And interestingly enough, the one thing that God's going to introduce us to next week is the stick. And by the way, it's the only cure for bitterness, according to the next verses. The only cure is the stick. And if you don't throw in the stick, it's all bitter. And can I just say, Jesus would tell us that unless the Son of Man was lifted up in such a way, there would be no forgiveness. Now look at, to close this up, there was a song that raised up in the heart of people, not just because they left bondage a little bit. Hey, look at, if you were addicted, you were a drinker and you couldn't stop drinking, or you were, you know, an addict of some sort, you couldn't stop smoking pot or whatever, and you went to a program and you got out of it, it tends not to make you sing because there's a part of you that still thinks, yeah, but I still have these cravings and I'm still kind of weird and and I feel like I'm still a little defective and it's kind of tweaked in my program and I know that I'll probably wind up in something else. That's not where the song starts. The song starts when the whole thing gets taken down and it doesn't get taken down because you joined a program or to be honest, even you joined a fellowship of weird and fun and funky people like we are. To be honest, what it starts with is the one person who can part the sea and can, let me remind you, close it too. In other words, he can open what no one can shut and he can shut what no one can open. Beloved, have you accepted that gift of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about have you sung a song because someone told you to. I'm saying have you really said, will you be my Lord? Not just my song or my salvation or my get out of hell free card but will you really become my passion my life because when that happens 
You don't even have to figure out what the words are. They come out of your mouth before you can stop it. And I'd like to invite you to that today. Do you realize it's the first Sunday? Is that right? The first Sunday of the year? Is that weird? You know what that means too? We get to have communion. And in getting to have communion, you have a choice to make. The Bible says not to eat or drink of these things unworthily. Now what does it mean to be unworthy? Well, Jesus says, or we're told in Scripture, that whenever you eat and drink of these things, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what's unworthy about eating and drinking of these things? Simple, saying, Jesus, I know you died for me, but who cares? But I would like to invite you to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. And if you have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I would like to invite you right now to ask the Lord to become more. Now understand, he's already all those things. The issue is whether or not we're willing to let him broadside us like that. To ask the Lord to become our song. Maybe some of you remember when he was your song, but it's been a long time. The band's been shut down for a long time. He hasn't changed. And he would love to be your song. And not just your salvation. And your strength. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of these beautiful words and what you've done in them. Lord, I want to thank you. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives just looking at these verses and to realize that even in the, in the book of Revelation, it says that they sang the song of Moses, a song of watching the enemy taken down completely, a song of freedom, a song of finality, a song that's definitive and not just, wow, that was a cool moment. I hope the rest of life works out. And God, I just pray right now for every one of us that you would do so much more in our lives, Lord, than just make us feel like, well, we just aren't going to go to hell. Some of us, Lord, we could be convinced that we're still going through a bit of it right now. But you're so much bigger. And Lord, for some of us, you will give us the honor of of some crazy things that you'll put in our lives, Lord. And I know that we don't think of him as honor when we look at him, especially if we're the one that feels like we have to endure it. But I do know this, Lord, that you have the opportunity to show your power, your strength, even in the midst of it. And your eyes span the earth seeking to show yourself strong to those whose hearts are truly yours. And God, I pray today that, it, that our hearts would be loyal and looking. And so God, I pray right now for every person here first who is a believer, but really we said we put our trust in you as Savior, but that the whole Lord thing has been really rough. And, and I just pray right now, Lord, that you would take your rightful place. When I think about that horrible cycle in judges of blessing to, to abandon, Lord, abandoning you, Lord, to running after other things and then finding ourselves back in bondage, that doesn't stop until the king takes the throne. And, and Lord, I just don't want us to live that kind of life of just that cycle where it seems like we have good times and then we find ourselves back in bondage and then we cry out and then we go back to good times and it's like our whole life is like this. God, we need you to take your rightful throne. So God, I just pray right now for every believer that you would be more to us, that you would so infect us that we would become contagious, that you would so consume us that you would become our song. I want to thank you. But in this room right now, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you been rescued? Are you still on the other side of the sea? God has opened it up and said, I want you to walk through with me right now. And I would want to show you how the enemy's defeated. And if that's you right now, I just want to pray this prayer. And again, if you agree, I ask you to give a big amen at the end. And what you're saying is, or amen. And what you're saying at the end is, I agree, let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. And here it is. God, I, I confess to you, I need you. Without you, I'm guilty. Without you, I'm weak. Without you, I'm defeated. But Lord, in all of that right now, I call out to you and I pray, Lord, as you've paid for every one of my wrongdoings, Lord, on the cross, as you've died there, Jesus, so that all of my penalty could die with it, all of my filth, all of my muck, all of my penalty done, 
And now I'll be raised from the dead three days later, just like your scripture promised, so that I could have new life now. And I want that new life. I want that new life in me. Lord God, please make this the day where I just say, yes, Jesus, be more than just my get out of hell free card. Make my life so transformed that you become my Lord today. And in doing so, Lord, be my strength, be my song, be my God. So here I am, I'm yours. Confessing Jesus is my Savior and Lord. I'm yours. Reinvent me and do with me as you please. Jesus, in your name, if you agree, I ask you to say,